You're listening to the Queen City Church Sermon of the Week. For more information on this message and other resources, visit queencity.church. Wow, that was just such a great start today, wasn't it? Boy, thank you, Lord. Thank you, Shelly, so much. Add a lot. Um, my topic, and it will be this for a while, I'm sure, probably from all of us that are speaking, is following Jesus. What it means to follow Jesus. The first thing I want to say is to successfully follow Jesus, one must be convinced of the goodness The goodness of God, our Father, as demonstrated through Jesus the Son. Because the call to follow Jesus is not necessarily the easiest thing. And the thing we don't really fully grasp, and I've spent many years trying to lay hold of this, even Jesus himself said, I of myself can do nothing. Think about Jesus saying that. And what it means is he depended on his father in the same way that he calls us to depend on him. So to be a successful or follower of Jesus, it takes Jesus's help. And we have to understand that. Is everybody on the, on the same page here? But three of our core values, we've been, I've been mentioning these lately here at Queen City Church. And they're not all of them, but they're just several we want to highlight. Is intimacy with Jesus, which means following him, respect for the scripture, and kindness, being kind to everyone everywhere. I think those are three great values. And um, I could live my whole life. I could live my whole life and not completely fulfill those three right there. How hard is it to respect other people you disagree with? Would anybody like to lodge an opinion or a statement? It's It's... But, you know, that's the reality of what we're called to, to follow Jesus, to respect what the Bible tells us, and to be kind to everyone everywhere. So a lot of this morning's message comes from a study I've been doing of the Gospel of Mark. And the Gospel of Mark's basically Simon Peter's gospel as told to and written by his spiritual son, John Mark, but he's known mostly in the, in the Gospels as Mark. And here's how it starts. It starts with Mark 1.1 when it begins to tell us about John the Baptist. And John the Baptist came preparing people's hearts to follow Jesus. And Isaiah prophesied his coming and described uh, John's purpose. And we find this in Mark 1, 1 through 3. It actually quotes Isaiah. But it begins this way. This is the beginning of the wonderful news about Jesus, the Messiah, the Son of God. It starts with Isaiah, the prophet, who wrote, Listen, I'm sending my messenger ahead of you, and he will prepare your way. He is a thunderous voice of one who shouts in the wilderness, Prepare your hearts. I want you to hear those three words. Prepare your hearts because that's going to be a major emphasis on what must happen to successfully and effectively follow Jesus. Prepare your hearts for the coming of the Lord Yahweh and clear a straight path inside your hearts for him. 
And what we're going to see is the preparation of our hearts has to do with repentance. And so we see in John, I'm sorry, in Mark 1, 5, we begin to see John the Baptist influence. And you know, he, Jesus says this later that John the Baptist was actually Elijah who was prophesied to return or to come. But there's an amazing difference between John the Baptist and Elijah. Elijah was a miracle worker. John the Baptist, according to the scripture, there's no recorded miracle he did. But he had an incredible countenance and anointing on him. And here's what happened. A steady stream of people came to be dipped in the Jordan River as they publicly confessed their sins. They came from all over southern Israel, including nearly all the inhabitants of Jerusalem. Now, a steady stream of people came, nearly all the inhabitants of Jerusalem. Jerusalem at that point had between 40,000 and 60,000 people. Between 40,000 and 60,000 people from Jerusalem alone came down to see John and to be baptized. And the Bible says they were publicly confessing their sin. That's a little scary, but that's what they were doing. And that number doesn't include those who came from all other parts of Israel. So, publicly confess their sins. I'm not asking anybody to do that this morning, so don't get nervous. Actually, never, I won't talk about that. I've got some stories, though. But taking a personal responsibility for your sins prepares your heart to fully serve the Lord. Let me say that again. Taking personal responsibility, not shifting the blame, not blaming someone else, as concerns your heart condition, is necessary. It prepares you to fully serve the Lord. I heard a wise man say sarcastically recently, he said this, the little problems, your fault. Big problems, his fault. My faults, nah. Dismissed the idea any of it was his fault. Now, that is one of the basic identifiers of what it is to have original sin. I know we could argue original sin. But when Adam fell, he shifted the blame. Here's what he said. He said, it was that woman you gave me. That woman you gave me. That. Here's why I'm a mess. Her and you. I was okay before what you did and gave me her. That sound familiar? Yeah. Yeah. Now, I'm talking about you needing to be a steward. That's a good word of your own heart. No matter what happens to you, and some bad things can have happened to you, the only thing you ultimately control is how you respond to what goes on in your life. Anyway, the key to making spiritual progress comes as we take personal responsibility for the condition of our hearts. So after John the Baptist arrives on the scene, Jesus appears. He asks John to baptize him. After he's baptized... Jesus is filled with the Holy Spirit. He's in the wilderness on a 40-day fast. He comes back. He faces and passes all of Satan's temptations. And then he begins to preach the gospel. 
and we find this in Mark 1, 14 and 15. Jesus went back into the region of Galilee and preached the wonderful gospel of God's kingdom realm. His message was this. At last, the fulfillment of the age has come. It's time for the realm of God's kingdom to be experienced in his fullness. Turn your lives back to God and put your trust in the hope-filled gospel. Now, the gospel was hope-filled because Jesus represented, presented, and demonstrated a completely new way of living and a completely new way of looking at life. And so as he engaged, as he was preaching the gospel, the good news of the kingdom of God, he began to recruit people and some in particular. And I believe we have an overhead here, Mark 1, 16 through 20. I want us to, to see this together. Verse 16, as Jesus was walking along the shore of Lake Galilee, he noticed two brothers fishing, Simon and Andrew. He watched them as they were casting their nets into the sea, and he said to them, come follow me, and I will transform you. Did you hear that word? I will transform you into men who catch people instead of fish. Come follow me. I'll transform. What did they do? This is incredible. Immediately. Say that word with me. Immediately. That word shows up 36 times in the Gospel of Mark. Immediately. They dropped their nets and left everything behind to follow Jesus. Walking a little farther, Jesus found two other brothers sitting in a boat along with their father, mending their nets. Their names were Jacob, that's James, Jacob and John. I'm reading the Passion Translation. Jacob and John and their father Zebedee. Jesus immediately walked up to them and invited the two brothers to become his followers. What does it say then? At once, Jacob and John dropped their nets, stood up, left their father in the boat with the hired men and followed Jesus. Then we find in Mark 2.14, he calls a tax collector. He would be one of the least likely people to be a follower of Jesus. He was um, considered a traitor to the Jews because he was taking up, uh, taking taxes from Jews for Rome and skimming and all that sort of stuff. But Jesus sees his tax collector, Mark 2.14. As he walked along, he found Levi, the son of Alphaeus, sitting at the tax booth collecting taxes. He approached him and said, come follow me. Next word. Immediately, he got up from his booth and began to follow Jesus. Follow me. This idea of following Jesus. In each case, Jesus told these men one simple thing that consisted of two words. What was it? Follow me. Those two words, follow me that Jesus spoke are two words that changed the world for everyone that obeyed and responded. A few weeks ago, I talked about the kind of people that Jesus chose to be his disciples and become his apostles. How many of you here heard that or saw it online? Yeah, it's, it's amazing. Jesus, um, the 12 apostles were flawed to the man. They were very different from Jesus, and they had real issues. They were very different from each other. They were selfish. 
They were hindered by self-promotion. They wanted the place of prominence in Jesus' kingdom. Because two of them asked for it, ten of them got mad at them. Two of them actually offered to call fire down and kill an entire town. That's a problem. You may also remember the story of Jesus rebuking Peter. Peter was arguing with Jesus because Jesus said, all of you are going to forsake me. And Peter said, no, I don't care what the rest of these guys do. I'm loyal to death. And Jesus eventually, and and actually the text says they argued about it. Can you imagine arguing with Jesus? How many of you could argue with Jesus, really argue with Jesus face to face? A friend of mine said, uh, Lord, what's your opinion about so-and-so? And the Lord said to him, I don't have opinions. See, that sort of messes you up, doesn't it? Yeah, that's not the American way. He says, I don't have opinions. I have the truth. Oh, yeah, yeah. We try to lobby uh, lobby with Jesus, but he's trickier than we are. So, no. So he tells Peter, before the cock crows twice, you're going to deny me three times. And that's what happened. And Peter failed miserably. But here's the wonder of it. We can gain such hope when we see the lives of these apostles. I mean, the top guys were problematic. I mean, one of, one of the main ones, Simon Peter, lied, denied the Lord, and it says he did it with oaths and curses. And I bet you those fishermen knew how to cuss. How about you? With oaths and curses. And so they failed miserably. And actually the Bible says every single one of them forsook Jesus in the garden. All of them. All of them. So maybe you forsook Jesus. Maybe you fell. Maybe you've fallen. So what? Get up. Two words Jesus will say to you. Guess what they are? Follow me. Follow me. So Peter is in a place where Jesus needs to restore him. And so Jesus um, does it this way. Peter denied Jesus three times. Jesus takes Peter through a process of affirming his love for Jesus three times. And at the end, Jesus says this, feed my sheep. See, that's part of caring. That's part of following Jesus. Part of following Jesus is taking active care for other people. That's what it is. That's part of what it means to follow Jesus as you care for other people. So Jesus is restoring Peter. And at the end of that process, he said to Peter, when you're a young man, you went wherever you wanted to go. But one day when you're old, others will tie you up and take you where you do not want to go and you will spread out your arms. And he was signifying Peter's uh, own death by crucifixion. Then, Pete, then Jesus says to Peter again, follow me. The same thing he said at the beginning. He says here, follow me. Then Peter notices John, and John was most likely a teenager or a young adult. The apostle started out very young. Peter noticed John was sneaking along behind him listening to what was going on, and it bothered Peter. So Peter said, well, what's going to happen to this guy? You told him what's going to happen to me. What's going to happen to him? 
And Jesus told Peter, whatever happens to John is not your concern. How many of us get off track because we look at somebody else? Well, life's unfair. They got something I didn't get. You mean I'm going to get crucified upside down and John's going to live to 120 and have a resort home in the Caesarea Philippi somewhere? But Jesus says this, it doesn't matter. That's none of your business. How many people need to be told, hey, this is none of your business? It's none of your business. That doesn't concern you. But then he says to Peter again, you must still keep following me. So, no matter what anyone else does, no matter what it costs, what's our calling? Our calling is to follow Jesus. You follow me, Jesus said over and over. One of the things that really struck me in reading in Mark, the first chapter, was that word transformed. Jesus said, come follow me and I will transform you into men who catch people instead of fish. Hey, guess what? You can't transform yourself. How many of you have tried to change and didn't work too well? I've been trying to change some things right now, not working too well. Now, I've been a long time at this, but I've got to keep following him. That's where transformation comes. It comes from following Jesus. We can't be transformed by our own effort. It takes Jesus, but we must follow him for that transformation to occur. I've talked earlier about that word immediately. Um, I can go through these different verses. Actually, I think I've got an overhead just to emphasize it. But here's what that word immediately implies. In this context, it implies a response. In each case, with Peter and Andrew, with James and John, with Matthew, Jesus gave them an opportunity. He gave them a choice, but it was a choice that required action. So to follow Jesus requires a response or an act of obedience. And here's what we know about obedience. Obedience opens the door to future opportunities. Now, you may say, why is that? Well, when my kids grew up, if my kids lied, I couldn't trust them. How many of you are with me? And if I couldn't trust them, there were things I would want to let them do, I wouldn't let them do. Because obedience um, obedience opens the door for further opportunities. You know, I don't want the Lord to open any door of opportunity to me that I can't really walk through successfully with him. How many of you have seen these preachers that are so driven and they're driven right into some horrible mess? Any of that ever happened? Anybody know of the things that go on with people? Or not even preachers, people in business. That ambition, that drive. And um, I know a lot of preachers that failed, failed morally. I don't want to fail morally. And I'll tell you, there are a number of reasons. It hurts the Lord. How many of you know what you do affects the Lord? Really know that. Number two, I don't want to hurt my wife. Number three, I don't want to embarrass my family. And I don't want to feel embarrassed. How many of you enjoy a good, nice embarrassment? No, no. 
No. And so there's this aspect of obedience involved in following Jesus. But um, Donna has been reading, oh, suddenly I lost his name and the title of the book and what he said. (laughs) No, here's what he said. And I mentioned it in the beginning. You cannot successfully follow the Lord if you are not convinced he really loves you. He really loves you. He has deep affection for you. What bothers you, he's concerned about. That's important. So when we talk about obedience, we we have to couch it in the context of a relationship with Jesus, with knowing God loves us so that our obedience isn't extracted from us like um, a terrible, terrible sacrifice, but there's a joyful aspect of following him. Now, let me leave you with this last thing, and it's the significance of the parables. In order to follow Jesus, we need to give the same importance he gave to his parables. We know from Mark 4.34, it says he never spoke to them without using parables. So what's a parable? It's a story. He says he never spoke without using a parable. And then he would wait until they were alone, and he would explain the meanings of the parables to his disciples. So Jesus communicated eternal truths through parables almost exclusively. Isn't that that remarkable? Eternal truth he communicated through, through these different parables, these different stories. And then he says this, the privilege of intimately knowing the mystery of God's kingdom realm has been granted to you but not to others where everything is revealed in parables. So he's telling this to those who are following him. And so the idea you get is people who were following him would begin to understand what the parables meant and people who were just sort of interested or quizzical or joined the crowd, they may not get what he meant at all. And then he says something further. He says, be diligent. Someone say that word diligent. Be diligent to understand the meaning behind everything you hear, for as you do, more understanding will be given to you. Do you realize you intellectually or spiritually, you will not um, capture or maintain anything you don't understand spiritually? Whatever you don't understand, you lose. I think that's important. He says, be diligent to do what? To understand. For as you do, you'll receive more understanding. And then he says, according to the depth of your longing to understand, still in Mark 4, much more will be added to you. For those who listen with open hearts, listen to that word. What did John begin to do early on? bring people to a place where their hearts were being dealt with. They were dealing with their sins. They were confessing, taking responsibility. They were opening their hearts. For those who listen with open hearts will receive more revelation. 
But those who don't listen with open hearts will lose what little they think they have. These are the words of Jesus. So diligence and understanding the meanings result in more understanding. A depth of longing to understand rewards us with understanding as well. And listening with open hearts gives us more revelation. But without open hearts, even what we get, we will lose. So here's a little idea. How do you make progress in your Christian life? You're honest about your heart's condition. And you ask the Lord to reveal himself through these parables. Jesus really emphasized the parables. One of the parables, I said I was going to close with another thing, didn't I? Well, I'm probably not. But this will take about five minutes. How many are familiar with the parable of um, the sower? Jesus said, consider a farmer went out to sow seeds. Do we have that on the overhead? As he cast his seeds, some of it fell along the beaten path, and soon the birds came and ate it. Other seeds fell onto gravel with no topsoil. And the seeds quickly sprouted since the soil had no depth. But when the days grew hot, the sprouts were scorched and withered because they had insufficient roots. Other seeds fell among the thorns. So when the seeds sprouted, so did the thorns, crowding out the young plants so that they could produce no grain. Verse 8, but some of the seeds fell onto good, rich soil that kept producing a good harvest. Some yielded 30, some 60, some even 100 times as much as was planted. If you understand this, then you need to respond. If you understand this, well, what was Jesus talking about? Jesus was talking about he was the sower. The seed were the words he spoke. And the ground were human hearts and how people responded. And so he explains it. Verse 14, the farmer sows the word as seed, and what falls on the beaten path represents those who hear the word, but immediately Satan appears and snatches it from their hearts. The seed sown on gravel represents those who hear the word and receive it joyfully, but because their hearts fail to sink a deep root into the word, they don't endure for long. When trouble or persecution comes on account of the word, they immediately wilt and fall away. And the seed sown among thorns represents those who hear the word. But they allow the cares of this life. The what? The cares of this life and the seduction of wealth and the desires for other things to crowd out and choke the word so that it produces nothing. But the seed sown on good soil represents those who open their hearts to receive the word and their lives bear good fruit. Some yield the harvest 30, 60, even 100 times more than the seed that was sown. That's very interesting. The seed, the word Jesus sows in our hearts as we believe it grows and develops in effectiveness. And so you basically had the beaten path. You had the seed on the gravel You had the seed on the thorny ground, and you had the seed in the good soil. Well, I could elaborate on each one of those, but
But the point is this. Jesus would not have given us this parable about bad soil if there wasn't something we could do about it. He asks, he says at the end, you can respond to what he said. You can begin to realize the beaten path. The beaten path is the place everybody walks. To me, it's, it's like, oh, I know that. Common knowledge. Oh, I know that. How many of you have ever not read the Bible because you thought, oh, I've already read that? I've felt that before. I get bored reading the Bible sometimes. Can I be that honest? Is it okay? Then I get a different translation and sometimes, it, you know, but sometimes I'm bored with it. And that's bad. But it's because it's become a beaten path to me. Do you understand what I'm saying? Well walked over ground without having a depth beneath it that ties me into the effectiveness of what that seed or that word has given me. And, and seed on the gravel, it just talks about being shallow. We fail to sink deep roots into the word we heard. And the devil will come and steal the things God's spoken to you. That's what lack of understanding does. It hinders our ability to retain. And then seed on thorny ground. And this is one I think we probably all deal with, which is the cares of this life. How many of you have spent an essentially carefree 2020? Yeah, that's ridiculous, right? A carefree, what do you call that? I forgot the name, pandemic. Nothing is enjoyable as a good pandemic. They don't come but once every hundred years. Wouldn't you hate to miss one? I know that's ridiculous, but I mean, we've done everything else but enjoy it, right? But there's the sea, and it's nothing to laugh about. Nothing to laugh about. But we got to laugh, so let's laugh in it, maybe not at it. I don't know. Anyway, seed on thorny ground, cares of this life, inordinate desire for wealth and riches, lust for things. That's what Shelley was saying earlier. You get things, and after you get the things, they're not what they were before you got them, right? I'm a gadget man. I like all kind of gadgets. And the reason I like all kind of gadgets is because gadgets don't satisfy me, so I keep getting more. Common, doesn't that make sense? Anyway, what's my conclusion? Jesus calls us to follow him. How many of you have decided to follow Jesus? It's a great decision. Here's what he says to you about it. Follow me. Follow me. He gives us his word to enlighten us to the reality of his kingdom and how he views life. And I'm going to leave you, Shelly, you can, you can come on back up. I'm going to leave you with this thought from my wife. Donna said this to me earlier. One of the things that makes soil rich and productive is manure in dead things. When processed the right way, Manure, that's a very nice, kind word. When processed the right way, manure and dead things add richness to the soil. It's not about what happens to you. It's about how you deal with what happens to you. It's not what people say or do. It's how you respond to them. And honestly, Every one of us are still learning that lesson. Yes and amen.
Thank you, Robin. So I was thinking about how to end this service because, you know, a lot's happened in the past hour. So in my heart, I want you all to have a beautiful week coming up. I want it to be full of laughter and joy and inspiration and beauty. And I'm going to do something a little old-fashioned, I think, but I want to bless you. And um, if you would just stand with me. And if you just want to hands out. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine on you and be gracious to you. The Lord turn his face towards you and give you peace. Be blessed. Have a beautiful, gorgeous week. In Jesus' name, amen. You've been listening to the Queen City Church Sermon of the Week. For more information on this message and other resources, visit queencity.church.